2: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
0: Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought
1: a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer
0: and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. There had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature.
3: Are you ready to get your world rocked? Are you ready to get your mind blown?
2: Do it! One, two, three, four.
1: Lydia Lovelace combines country music and punk rock in a way that makes her albums incredibly
3: unique. I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Alternative country star Lydia Lovelace joins us for a performance and interview this week on Sound Opinions. And later in the show, Greg and I review new albums from indie rock heroes Mission of Burma and the dance pop band Passion Pit.
1: You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
3: Greg, that is not a new genre of elevator music that we're listening to. It's a catchy ditty that's the result of a scientific experiment coming out of Imperial College in London. Biologists there had this neat idea to apply what they knew about evolution and natural selection to music. They wanted to find out, given a bunch of random notes, how does music evolve? The project is called Darwin Tunes, and here to talk about it is Dr. Bob McCallum. Bob, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi, thanks. Let's start at the beginning, Doctor. Where did the idea of examining Darwinian theory with music come up? How did it strike you?
4: Well, with me personally, I was using computational evolution in my, in my day job. I have a strong interest in music, and I just was one day playing around with these algorithms and thought, I can make sound, and I can evolve sound, but I'll have to choose the sounds I like and the sounds I don't like. So that's how I got into it. Other people have had the same ideas, but we, in this Darwin Tunes project, we really were wanting to answer the question, what happens if we set a little machine like this loose with the with the general public choosing what they like and don't like? It's also a model of how music might evolve in the wild, so to speak.
1: Yeah, the idea being that music started uh, as a bunch of random sounds and evolved into something that we now perceive as music. Similarly with this study, very crude origins. Random sine waves, right? That's how it
4: started? That's right. We have a population of loops. The sounds are made with random sine wave combinations, and the notes are randomly placed in a 4-4 bar, and uh, it's pretty pretty terrible. I mean, the notes are from the Western 12-note scale, but still, that's not really enough to make it particularly listenable. And then some of those random combinations sound slightly less bad than others. (laughs) So our participants on the web will rate those a bit more highly than the the real ear crunchers. Those loops, the highly rated ones, they pair up, have sex, and make baby loops. (laughs) Now, you might wonder how they do that. Well, behind each loop is a kind of digital genome, like a DNA string, but it's, it's not DNA, of course. When two successful parent loops get together, they mix up their music DNA, and that gets passed into the offspring.
1: But the element here is that the listener is the one ultimately deciding which two are going to mate. You're obviously investigating the role of the consumer or the listener in this process of how music would evolve.
4: Yes, but we're trying to evolve the role of listeners. If one person decides who reproduces and who doesn't, that's more like breeding, you know, breeding chihuahuas or something. Whereas we think with a large body of listeners, it's more natural-like selection. And it's really interesting to see how strong that selective force is Firstly things get more harmonic, nice chords develop and then the rhythm gets also more complex with secondary melodies and there are bass lines and atmospheric pads and all kinds of things going on now.
1: Was there any common elements between the winning musical loops? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the harmonic, rhythmic, melodic thing. Was there one thing that stood out in your mind that sort of tied all of these genetic winners, if you will, together?
4: Well, something that's persisted through th- several thousand generations is a, a kick drum, a 4-4, just a plain kick drum which is actually quite surprising because I think, I don't know, half the population is sort of fairly anti-techno sort of electronic music, but still it seems to be appealing. But really we've, we've just done one experiment. We'd have to repeat the whole thing again and make sure completely different people participated to really find out if that's a common trend.
3: So, Doctor, what if the uh, major label music industry came to you to turn the Darwinian music engine to evil purposes? (laughs) I'm thinking of, like, Katy Perry's producers saying, we want to use this to to craft her next dozen singles. Would there be any ethical problems with that, or do you you think it would work?
4: I'd be happy for them to try. I mean, uh, the software is actually available free open source, so they can try it, but I wouldn't perhaps give them any consulting (laughs) assistance with that.
1: (laughs) There's enough Katy Perry music out there. Bob, thanks so much for talking to
3: us. Bye. Dr. Bob McCallum is a researcher at Imperial College London. You can learn more about Darwin Tunes and vote for your favorite loops at darwintunes.org. And we want to hear from the scientists in the audience. Has your love of music influenced your work? Give us a call at 888-859-1800. a bit of the track more like them by our guest this week lydia Lovelace. like a lot of lydia's songs it's about not fitting in or not living up to people's expectations that's a frustration lots of artists can identify with but few make it sound as good on record as lydia on her second album last year's indestructible machine lydia's singing about failed love drinking too much and small town life all topics you associate with traditional country music But she sings those lyrics with a punk rock snarl. Jim, that comfort with country
1: and rock has a lot to do with Lydia's upbringing. You know, she started playing in a new wave band with her sisters when she was just 13 years old. But growing up in rural Ohio, she was also surrounded by country music. Her dad even booked bands at a local honky-tonk. So, you know, she might lash out at small-town life on her records, but it's clear these experiences really helped shape who she is. So when Lydia and her band visited the studio recently, I asked her about growing up on the family farm.
5: Yeah, it was 80 acres. I was pretty much like a wild animal back then. um, (laughs) I mean, it wasn't exciting to me then, but looking back, it was like all my siblings and I get together and tell different stories about things we did. And we're like, I can't believe we grew up like that, swinging from a tree branch in the woods over a ravine and getting... Buried in swamp water and <laughs> various <laughs> crazy things that happen to you when you grow up in the country.
1: And uh, you had two older sisters, your dad, who is in your band as the drummer, Parker. What was that like growing up in a musical household? Was it sort of influencing you to to pick up a guitar in the first place? Or was it a case where, like in a lot of families, you're saying your sisters are doing this. like go, I want nothing to do with that. Get away from me.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, for me, I was very drawn to it because um, both my older sisters took piano and I wanted to do that. And then once I started doing it, I absolutely despised it, but I had begged for so long to take lessons that for four years I had just made my teacher miserable. Mostly it was just because those were the kind of the toys that were around, like guitars and drums and stuff. So
3: I think this is gonna blow people's minds when they hear you play your first song. But I've read that you learn to sing by singing along the ace of bass mm-hmm. and Fiona Apple. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. everything about that's wrong. The pairing of Ace of Base <laughs> and Fiona Apple and learning to sing that way.
5: Yeah, I mean, just basically sang along with those every spare moment I got, so.
6: Hunger hurts, and I want them so bad over kills Cause I know I'm a messy, so don't wanna clean up I got to focus, these hands are too
1: like being in a band with your sisters though?
5: Um, I mean, it's about like doing anything with your sisters. It's fun. And sometimes it's a bloody mess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yelling people. But I mean, I wasn't really like part of the songwriting process. I played bass and I was a lot younger. So it was mostly their thing and I just followed their directions.
1: So you're about 13, right? Mm -hmm. And you're playing in punk clubs in in Columbus. What were those experiences like?
5: I mean, I guess I thought I would never forget what it was like to play my first gig, but You know, you play so many gigs that you kind of forget. But it was definitely an exciting experience for me and just seeing all the weird, crazy people that you meet in bars when I was 14. It was kind of scary, I guess,
2: at first. ¶¶
3: Do they always read you the Riot Act? You know, you're here, you're working. You don't go anywhere near the bar. If we see you with anything in your Sometimes. hand, you're talking about the Sometimes. bartender. Right? the bartender, yes. yeah, the owners, yes. <laughs> the potential for underage Sometimes drinking. You just
5: don't get to come in, but I'll never forget one time a guy wanted to see my ID and I showed him, and it said I was 14, and he was just like, <laughs> about gagged up a lung. It's like I need to mark your very small hands
3: with
2: yeah, X's. Yeah.
3: Well, how about a song? Sure. What are you going to play, Lydia?
5: Let's do a new one called Chris Isaac.
3: Loveless on Sound Opinions, a newish tune, as she said, Chris (laughs) Isaac. She's here with her band, Ben Lamb on bass, Parker Chandler on drums, Todd May on guitar. And Lydia, I think we have to point out that from playing in a band with your two sisters, this Mm -hmm. is still a family affair. Ben... On the stand-up bass there is your husband, Mm -hmm. and uh, Parker on drums is your dad, (laughs) and the fine folks at Bloodshot Records, your label, said that Todd is your son, but I don't believe them because he seems to be a little older (laughs) than you. Also my cousin. Is that true? No,
5: it's not. No, okay. All right,
3: right, I want to know, a song that every critic who wrote about Indestructible Machine had to mention was Steve Earle, Mm -hmm. which is a a catchy and affecting tune about being stalked (laughs) by someone in your hometown. Yeah. Why... Poor Steve Earle gets blamed. I, I don't know. We can ask you about that. But this song, Chris Isaac, seems to flip the script. The creepy guy was following you and Steve Earl. It seems to be mm-hmm. you're the naughty girl chasing some boys yes. in this song.
5: It's yeah, it's kind of a song about being a young girl who's kind of obsessed with the guy and and then you kind of think a few years later, like what was I really expecting from that, I guess? Hmm. Later when you're depressed and
3: old. <laughs> <laughs> we should point out you're what, twenty one 21. now? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> But obsession's a common theme. You Uh like to play with obsession.
5: Yeah, I I guess I like to play with strong emotions because I don't like to sing about stuff that I'm sort of indifferent about, which is why I'm such a perfectionist, I guess.
3: Are you a perfectionist? Do you take your time writing and recording?
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, recording not so much, but I like to get every word right in my songs. I don't like to have too many lines that I don't really feel that much about.
6: How many women
3: We'll have more of our conversation with Lydia Lovelace after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later in the show, Greg and I review new records by Passion Pit and Mission of Burma.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Dirigatis, and we'll be returning to our conversation with country punk songwriter Lydia Lovelace. That track, Crazy, is from Lovelace's latest album, the 2011 release, Indestructible Machine. And like all the songs on that record, it highlights her mature voice and raw, honest songwriting. Lydia got into music early, I mean really early. By the time she was 13, she was playing gigs in Columbus with her sister's new wave band, Carson Drew. Now, your ears wouldn't know it, but Loveless was only 16 when she recorded her first solo album, The Only Man. It was a swift rise, to say the least, for a young artist from rural Ohio. When Lydia visited the studio, I asked her about the first record, The Only Man, and how did an artist so young find herself in a recording studio playing with pro musicians?
5: I had recorded some demos. I was about 15, and I played a show with... One of my favorite bands, 500 Miles to Memphis, and they're from Cincinnati, their steel player actually saw me play and was kind of blown away and wanted to make a record. So that's kind of how The Only Man came about. We went into the studio, I think I was like 16 or 17. Mm. It's 10 songs, sort of a shortish album, but full length nonetheless. Mm. I don't know.
1: (laughs) And it was like a pro producer. [SSSSSS3] Yeah. Wanted to work with you.
5: [SSSS1] Mm
1: -hmm. This fellow David Rhodes Brown, [SSSSSS3] right? Were there your songs on the record and was yes. the production and the, the sound was that your idea I mean how did that record it was come out
5: Odd. I mean I was so young so I hate to make it sound like it was like this big pushed around experience but it was a little weird it was the first time I'd ever been in the studio in that capacity it was all musicians that they had brought in to do like the basic tracking so it's not really my
3: band are they thinking we got another Taylor Swift I think here or so. something? <laughs> <laughs>
6: Cause after all the things I do I just things I do And all the things I say and what I really want to say What's so good about me that you just can't stay away And why do you think I was so nice if you found me in this place? What happened to my home and all the places that I had? Well, it don't really matter, those are just Those are just the things I did
1: So you're about 16, you said, when you made this record, yeah. right? So it's understandable that you didn't really know what you wanted. What yeah. did, did that record help sort of resolve some of your ideas about what you wanted the next record to sound like?
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, listening to it now, I wish it had had a little more freedom, I guess, which is what I accomplished with Indestructible Machine, just going in and knocking some music out and playing rock and roll.
1: So uh, you want to play us another tune, maybe from that record?
5: Sure. I guess let's do Learn to Say No.
3: Lydia Loveless, Learn to Say No from Indestructible Machine. You know, among the many things I love about this album is the typewriter... In the alcoholic awesome. haze in the background, <laughs> <laughs> clearly you love performing and yeah. and you shine as a performer. But I know that writing is really important to you. And I was trying mm-hmm. to, I was wrestling with this album for a long time because this this kind of feminist attitude, self assured, but there's also this wicked nasty. I don't take anything uh, seriously. <laughs> sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And then I read somewhere that your two favorite writers are Charles Bukowski mm-hmm. and Mary Carr. Yeah. What do you like about each—because those two things don't go together. <laughs>
5: <laughs> really, I think they do. I mean, Mary Carr is definitely a don't-mess-with-me type person. They're both just kind of—they don't mince words, and they don't try to hide everything behind metaphors, which is kind of what I try to do.
3: And Bukowski?
5: Bukowski just doesn't mm. really hold anything back and obviously wasn't really afraid to show you that he wasn't always a great person. So
1: yeah. Well, that uh, line uh, about the indestructible machine that gives mm-hmm. the album your title, the, mm-hmm. the line from Learn to Say No, obviously that resonated for you. Why, why did the why did you title the album that?
5: Yeah, I mean, that's a poem I wrote one morning when I was feeling particularly, I guess, manic. And I was just going through, a, I don't want to say I was going through a hard time, but I guess I was, and um, I guess drinking a lot. And it sort of came from the idea that when you do drink a lot or have any kind of addiction, you sort of forget your physical body and the things that are happening to it. A lot of people think Indestructible Machine is a dead serious poem about me being so awesome that I cannot die no matter how much I drink, but it's actually pretty blatantly ironic. So the Indestructible Machine is not
1: real. Right. (laughs) It sounds like you're talking to yourself there a little bit.
5: Yeah, yeah. That's kind of why I wrote that.
1: It's a terrific song. Thank you. And, And this entire album seems to be about processing a lot of stuff that turmoil of, of growing up in a small town and sort of feeling those small town ways seems to have really you needed an outlet for that stuff. And it seemed yeah. like writing these songs, as Jim said, the typewriter, mm-hmm. that seemed to be the outlet for you. Yeah. If you didn't have that, it would have been
5: I'd probably still live in Coshocton and deal meth or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I really don't know what.
3: Is there a big meth do. problem in Coshocton? Uh,
5: I guess I guess I shouldn't say that. It's a great little place. Lots mm. to do no, I mean, I don't know what I would do without music or writing. I guess that's
3: why I do it. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeArgatis. I'm here with Greg Codd. We're uh, listening to Lydia Lovelace. Lydia, how about a song? Sure.
5: Let's do Steve Earle. Say what? <laughs>
6: An article that said I like to do cocaine And now he comes to all my shows and said to finally some help. Stand outside my willow Until I have to cover cops And they always let him out of there, Cause she's a famous face Well, that's a funny word
3: Lydia Lovelace with Ben Lamb on bass, Parker Chandler on drums, Todd May on guitar. The song is Steve Earl. Lydia, Steve has been on Sound Opinions three <laughs> times. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you don't know this, but he's here to... D- no, no, no. <laughs> no. Steve's got a great sense of humor. I bet he'd appreciate mm-hmm. that song.
5: I hope so. It's really just a joke.
3: <laughs> I wonder if the guy you wrote it about appreciates the
1: song.
5: Oh, I don't know him. He lives, like, across the street from me. Oh, my God. A couple years ago, I moved and... We saw him walking across the street and go into a house, and we've seen his lover's spats in the middle of the street. Oh. He's a really dramatic guy, so That's hopefully a... he's not listening.
1: You know, the album is, is terrific, got a lot of acclaim. It seemed like universal acclaim. How does that make you feel going forward in terms of what you want to do next?
5: Uh, scared. When people like something so much, you feel like anything you do after might be like not as good.
1: Well, you're an interesting place because you made that first record it sounded like they tried to mold you into something that you weren't. They tried to sell you to a certain you know market and and the music you're making is a lot more complicated now in terms of the kind of influences you're drawn on There's you know mm-hmm. people can find some country, some punk. Do you ever think about that? I mean, you know where do I fit in? Do I want to fit in? Can I sustain a career not really having a niche?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think you know people who listen to music are just people like anyone else. I don't think they're so boxed in as a lot of people think, like, you need to do the same thing and do this and have a... I don't think it's really that way in reality. So I hope that I can just write whatever comes out of me and people will appreciate it. If not, I guess I can try harder next time.
1: Are you worried at all that a lot of the content for the Indestructible Machine record was drawn from that turmoil that you experienced growing up? Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you feel like well, gee, now I'm older and I'm more settled and I'm running out of material. I mean, you could always like, watch Steve Earle, I guess, across mm-hmm. the block. But Yeah,
5: I mean, there's always that occasionally, but really, there's you never run out of things to write about, and I certainly never run out of things to worry about and make them seem really bad, so I'm sure I'll always <laughs> find material in my own head.
3: Mm-hmm. But well, we heard that song, Chris Isaac, which is a new <laughs> one, and how yeah. many more have you got together for the next album?
5: Just a few. I mean, I've got some ideas. It's all just a matter of sitting down and making them exist.
1: Lydia, thanks so much for being our guest on Sound Opinions.
6: Thanks for having us.
3: You can see video of our session with Lydia Lovelace at soundopinions.org. And don't forget to give us your thoughts about this show or anything in the musical universe. Leave us a comment at 888-859-1800. Up next, Greg and I review releases from Passion Pit and indie rock legends Mission of Burma. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that is semi-pseudo sort of plan from the great Mission of Burma on Sound Opinions. Mission of Burma with its latest album out. It's called Unsound, the fourth album they have released since they reunited in 2002. Now, some people may remember this band from their late 70s, early 80s incarnation in the Boston post-punk scene. Those who saw them way back when, and they only played a few dozen shows, never forgot them. They were one of the great bands of that era, hugely influential, covered by numerous bands in subsequent decades, from Moby to R.E.M., who sang their praises, but very short-lived. They only put out one full album and one EP in their lifetime, but those songs proved to be hugely important because they were melding noise and melody and bringing it forward in sort of an avant-garde fashion and yet at the same time with memorable melodies. So we're talking about four people basically, guitarist Roger Miller, bassist Clint Conley, drummer Peter Prescott, and tapehead Martin Swope, the guy behind the boards. You would never see him when the band was performing on stage because he was hiding behind the mixing board, but meanwhile he was manipulating tape loops while the band was playing to add to the chaos that was coming out of those speakers. They sounded huge when they were on stage. Now, the band all went their separate ways after a few short years, mainly because Miller was suffering from tinnitus, that high-volume level that the band always played at. Uh, His ears couldn't handle it. Decades later... Your technology has come a long way Miller was able to better handle the volume And the band reunited in 2002 Miller, Conley, and Prescott That is, Swope wasn't interested Mission of Burma brought in Bob Weston Who is a noted figure From that Boston uh, post-punk scene Of the 80s, since moved to Chicago Has engineered and produced numerous records So he is now the fourth member of the band Here's the new album Unsound, and here's a track from it Sevens, from Mission of Burma Unsound Opinions
3: That is the song Sevens from the fourth album in the second go-round by Mission of Burma. It's called Unsound. Greg, uh, you can't underscore enough what a phenomenal accomplishment it is for a band to have gone away and then come back and now produced four times more than they did in their original incarnation, every bit as good as that first incarnation. Now I say every bit as good. No... Burma heads, they have not written another That's When I Reach for My Revolver or Academy fight song. I'm sorry, the Sex Pistols only wrote one, God Save the Queen, and then they broke up. You know, the Ramones had like 20 albums of the same song, and they were all great. Burma continues to break ground. I think if there isn't the surprise that there was in the first incarnation, there is a consistency here of wonderfully melodic but very subtly experimental and twisted noise punk. You're talking about a band that I think has finally established itself as every bit the equal of Gang of Four or Wire, two groups that usually influenced them in those post-punk years, and they were trying to take this punk rock aggression into a new place, into a place that was art, singing about, you know, the German expressionist painter Max Ernst, Mm. singing here about I don't even know what they're singing about half the time, but it's really intriguing, and they're switching instruments. They're trying to really challenge each other. The fact that you have three voices... Three songwriters, three very different individuals, and yet they work so well together. I think that's what they realized. All those other projects in the years when Burma wasn't active, they missed what they got from each other. They have come back. They are not selling a million records. They are not the hippest thing in the world. They are having the time of their lives, and they're making great music. It's a buy-it for me for Unsound.
1: Well, I think the key for me of what you just said, Jim, is the time of their lives. You can still feel the joy that these guys have playing together. I mean, there's yelling on this record. There's background (laughs) screams going on. Yeah, they're... They're in the studio together, they're making this wonderful noise, and they're enjoying it. They still have the ability to surprise themselves and to love what they're doing. I think the fact that they have this second life, which was totally unexpected, the fact that Miller was able to come back and play full-time, has been a real gift to them. And they are not in any way taking that for granted. Uh, three great songwriters, as you said, they, they all contribute vocals and songs, and Weston is actually contributing to this record in yes. the songwriting department as well. as playing some trumpet, of all things. We should note that he's a member of Shellac. Uh, yes, the guy's got some serious credentials. There's no doubt about it. He fits very well with this group. I think Mission of Burma makes the case that even though reunions usually don't work Sometimes they do. Sometimes a band can come back after taking several decades off and make music as every bit as good as the stuff that originally got people excited about them. And Mission of Burma proves that point. I think Unsound is a buy-it record.
2: Make it seem like it's been ages And tomorrow's some new building Scrape the sky I love this country dearly I can feel the latter clearly But I never thought I'd be alone to try
3: You're listening to Sound Opinions and that is a song called Take a Walk from the new album by Passion Pit. It's called Gossamer. That's the first single, Greg. It's been a long time since we talked about Passion Pit last This is a great story. I loved it at the time. It really won me over. A young singer and songwriter named Michael Angelakos is in love with this woman at Boston's Emerson College, and he does what many young musicians do. He writes music to try to woo her it does not work nevertheless the music on myspace takes off garnering a million and a half hits and back then this was one of the first big myspace successes it prompts columbia records to sign him he puts out a full-length debut album the big hit track from that album sleepyhead begins to take off even before columbia puts it out there in the world Puts together, a full on band he tours and he disappears. Where's he been for the last three years? There has been talk for at least two years of this album coming down the pike. Now it's finally here, but it seems as if Angelakos is having some troubles. Uh, he was supposed to start with a very high profile tour of select dates in big cities, he had to cancel. Half of that tour, he said, because of mental health problems. That was a statement that he put out. We'll play a song from this album and come back and give our opinions about what we're getting on Gossamer. Here is Passion Pit with I'll Be Alright on Sound Opinions.
1: Fashion Pit with I'll Be All Right from the new album Gossamer, uh, in which Michael Angelicos says, My brain is racing and I feel like I'll explode. Jim, you know, you hinted at this earlier. The the guys said, I've got some mental issues here. And basically the last three years sound like they've been a real struggle for this guy on a lot of levels. And that's what this record really is talking about. Now, here is a bedroom studio wizard, sort of like one of those guys who can just spend hours manipulating sounds just to get it exactly right. I mean there's a level of obsessiveness, meticulous detailed production in this record that if you spend any time with it is is probably going to blow you away. I mean what I've been told is that up to 120 tracks of music have been used on each of the tracks on this record. And wow. it's basically Angelico's playing these keyboards and adding strings his voices, as well as these androgynous backing vocals from this female Swedish a cappella trio known as Arado, And he sings in a falsetto yes. that often
3: sounds like a woman's voice.
1: You can't tell exactly who is making this sound, what is making this sound, and I think that's exactly the way he wants it. Now, there's a disconnect here, because the music, for the most part, is very up-tempo, upbeat, exuberant. You almost think this is like a, a chirpy pop record. It, it, it sounds like one of those speeded-up Kanye West soul <laughs> but it, that's an appropriate image because I think what we have here is a soul record disguised as an uptempo dance pop album. Angelico's is pouring out his innermost demons. And according to this record, we're talking about addiction to alcohol, mental illness, you know, the struggles of being married and trying to hold that marriage together despite his mood swings. So it's about love of the most difficult and demanding nature, and it's a very intense listen once you get beyond the surface of that peppy instrumentation. So give it a chance, folks. If you're not impressed with the music initially, dig a little deeper, and you'll find there's a lot more going on here than may initially meet
3: the ear. I'm going to give Gossamer a buy-it rating for that reason, Jim. I absolutely agree with you, Greg. This is a buy-it record. And I was glad to hear you use the words soul music, because I think a lot of people could dismiss this as dance pop in the vein of, like, hot chip, okay? It's not. It's much deeper than that. And I'll tell you, I think that uh, Angelakos is a peer of Frank Ocean and The Weeknd. Mm-hmm. You know, we are getting underground explosion in R&B, where for so long it's been dominated by the slick mainstream sounds of R. Kelly, Chris Brown, Usher, right? Here we're getting weird, weird soul geniuses like Stevie Wonder on acid Mm -hmm. in their bedrooms making these heartfelt epics that I'm really excited about. You wouldn't think those artists have anything in common, but all of them are being proudly individualistic and breaking new ground. Passion Pit is definitely worth your time. It's a double buy it. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, a special edition of Sound Opinions. We went down to Nashville and did an intense interview with one Jack White. Woo! We have some thank yous to say, as always. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. We have to thank Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill for our session with Lydia Lovelace. Our assistant producers are Annie Minoff and Michael DeBonis. Our intern is Deborah Olalea. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori southside Malatia. He's been trying to come up with a Darwin Tunes-like program to edit this show, but he's yet to succeed.
6: I look at my telephone book. I look at my telephone book. I can't stand away. Look, I hate to think away. Took me down to a burn rate. I go to name on everything. You don't return my call.
1: On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline 888 859 1800. in
6: a of fun, i lucky one. You don't return my call. New messages.
0: Hi guys, this is Sean from Colorado calling. Love the show, but I have to say I was disappointed to hear your recent takedown of the band Muse. Admittedly, their new Olympic theme song doesn't rank with their best, but to dismiss their entire output based on that one very narrow sample is a huge mistake. I challenge you to take off your critical hats for a minute and really listen to these guys. Check out the Dick Dale meets Ennio Morricone at a sweet concert madness in Knights of Cydonia. where these guys really shine. Last year, I took my 13-year-old son to his first arena show, and it was to see Muse. These guys are cranking out full-on polished arena rock like nobody else. I'm talking lasers, gigantic computerized video walls, pyrotechnics, glowing glowing Lucite baby grand. I haven't seen a show like that in 30 years. Needless to say, I've set a pretty high bar for future shows for my son. Keep up the good work.
6: This is Andy, I'm calling from New York City. And I just loved your half-year show. It was fabulous. Thank you for turning me on to some great music. I also wanted to turn you guys on to an album that I think has been seriously undervalued, and that
2: is the Peter, Paul, and Mary album, Moving. I courted lovely Flora She promised ne'er to go But soon a tale was told to me that filled my heart with woe. They said she meets another man who holds my love in jest. And yet I trusted Flora, the Lily of the
0: West. I think it's the best album
6: they ever made, actually. And some of the spirituals and the revivals hearken back to old Irish ballads, and all sorts of other wonderful references and connections. I hope you guys will check it out. Thanks for doing a great job. You
0: always bring good things to us. Bye. Hi, my name is Jim, and I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. I'd like to comment on the last show. Um, I've heard all of the shows on podcast, and I thought it was just great that you guys came up with so many great records that you both liked. The Bobby Womack record was really great. Ty Siegel, Best Host, Name of Cherry. Nothing is the way Hundreds of thousands of records
3: come out every year. You guys are professional critics. I would think that you guys could come up every week with this many great records. Play them for us, tell us about them, and get us excited about them like you guys are. Um, that's my
2: comment. I think it would be great. Thank you.